0: Welcome everyone to our Aztecs Hoopla podcast. I'm Jay Posner, sports editor of the Union Tribune, joined by our San Diego State basketball writer, Mark Ziegler, and we are taping this on Monday, uh, two days after San Diego State completed its best regular season ever. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. Twenty-eight and one overall record, seventeen and one in the Mountain West, which was the best record by any school in that uh, conference, and three days before the Aztecs will play in the Mountain West tournament against uh, either Fresno State or Air Force. And, Mark, this is kind of a weird tournament this year because we already know they're going to the NCAAs, and that hasn't happened a whole lot, I think, over the past several years. I mean, the Mountain West kind of fell into that uh, sort of is it a one-bid or a two-bid league, and uh, it's a little different this year, right? I mean, we uh, we know what the Aztecs are doing, and there's really not a whole lot at stake here. On the surface, other than I'm sure these guys want to win because as they've as they've shown us, they are tremendously competitive and want to win regardless of sort of the stakes. Uh, you know, one seed, two seed, we can talk about, but uh, otherwise, it's it's just about winning, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, really, the only the only sort of tangible things that they're they're looking at, I think, in this tournament are you know, obviously they want to cut down nets. They 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 talked about that all year. They, they they wanted three net cutting ceremonies, but they actually I don't think they realize that you cut down nets after uh, after the Elite Eight. That's right. Um, <laughs> as well. But so they're talking about three, you know, the Mountain West Conference regular season championship, they already cut down nets for that. Then the conference tournament, that's the next thing they want to cut down nets for. And then the third what they were talking about is the national championship. The two other things that I think are kind of on the line here, number one, are they gonna be a one or a two seed? They will be nothing else other than that. And I think if they win out, there's a very good chance there'll be a one seed. An outside chance, maybe somebody in the ACC just goes crazy and runs the table and, and beats a bunch of very good teams in that conference tournament, and the committee decides, okay, we'll put them ahead of San Diego State. But I, I don't think so if they if they run the table. And if they lose on Thursday uh, against Fresno State or Air Force, they'll probably be a two seed. And, and the other thing that, is, that you know could happen here and what the players, I think, are very much looking at, they don't like to look ahead, but... In the semifinals on Friday evening, they could play UNLV. And they want another shot at them. They badly want another shot at them. That's the only team that beat them this year. So for obvious reasons, they want to play them. And so there's like a little mini motivation inside the tournament with that game.
0: And what about the, the idea of playing either, obviously they have no choice in the matter, but Fresno State and Air Force, I would think Fresno State would be a slight favorite in that game. Either team, easier, harder for the Aztecs. They played Fresno twice this year. I think both games ended up being decided by nine points, if I'm not mistaken. They only played Air Force once; it was on the road, and it was a pretty close game up until the last—I uh, don't know, five or ten minutes—and the Aztecs kind of exploded there down the stretch and and won going away. But you think and Fresno, that you know, you've got the Justin Hudson, Tim Shelton uh, factor going in there as well. Uh, do you think it matters to these guys uh, on Thursday, or should it matter who they play Thursday?
1: Probably shouldn't. I think Air Force would be a little bit easier. I know that game was close, but it was at 7,000 feet. Put it down at you know 2,000 feet, and it's a much different game because they don't know who they're going to play. They wouldn't have as much prep time. But all they did in that game was basically play zone, which they did not play very well, by the way, <laughs> instead of trying to prepare for all the back cuts. So it would be interesting to see how they'd approach that game. You know, Fresno State's a little bit like getting a root canal. It, it's, you know, they know them. Uh, and, and and both teams know each other very very well, not just the coaching staffs, but the the players, the teams, and kind of play similar defenses. And and so you know they beat them twice. They were both grinded out, ugly, low scoring games. And and I think you know they're just they just kind of be like, oh, we got to go through this again. But uh, they should be able to win either of them. I think you know probably the easier the two would be Air Force though.
0: Right. I do want to go back real quick to the Nevada game on on Saturday because. You know, you're the only, basically the only media member from from San Diego who goes to these to these games and can actually take us inside the arena and and sort of tell us what it was like there. And I, I saw you; it looked like you were sitting on the baseline, right behind the basket, next to the Aztec bench. And on TV, at least, it sounded really loud in there. I mean, it sounded almost viejos loud uh, at times in there. So, uh, take us inside. The arena on Saturday night and and what was it like you know being in there and and what was it like for the Aztecs and and for them to fall down by 13 points and still come back and win seemed to say an awful lot about this team.
1: Yeah so I I was sitting right on the baseline right next to the Aztecs bench the students were directly behind me the band was directly behind me and the Chili's were right in front of me and so it's just I mean you want to talk about atmosphere in a college environment I mean it was all right there and and uh, you know the first play of the game for for Nevada, Jalen Harris, who's who got Player of the Year votes actually, um, comes downhill and jumps in the Yanni Wetzel, draws a foul and banks in a a short shot and and the place just goes nuts and it just kind of keeps building from there. Uh, you know, and a lot of times when San Diego State's gone into a, a tough hostile environment, they they've got off to good starts and kind of taking the crowd out of it. They did that in New Mexico. They did that at Boise State. Right. Uh, and, and they did that even at Utah State a little bit. And so it didn't happen here. They fell behind. They're down nine and a half, and that just got the crowd going. And so it was a, a really, really different environment than some of their other road wins just because of the, the engagement of the crowd. And, and and the thing that really struck me is there was this one student, a couple of students were just, you know, like they all do, they just – are completely on the, on the, uh, the visiting team. And they were just yelling at the Aztecs all game. And you could hear them pretty, pretty well. The guy had a pretty big booming voice. And, and as the final seconds ticked off, I put this quote in my story. He just said, man, 22 can, is a baller. I'll admit that. I mean, he just had (laughs) no, no, no other thing to say, but give props to, to Malachi Flynn for how he played in that game and how he took it over. Uh, but I really think, I mean, uh, um, uh, of all their wins this season, this is right up there with any of them. Um, and it was weird because it really didn't mean anything. They already clinched the conference title, and it, it didn't change any seedings or anything. But just based on what happened the previous weekends, there were a lot of doubters. And I'm sure, you know, the, the players have a lot of confidence and a lot of swagger, but I'm sure deep down there's a little bit, there's some doubts internally as well. And, and to prove the outside world kind of wrong about, you know, this team's falling apart. And maybe some of their own quiet, some of their own doubts, I think, was a big, big deal.
0: And they had to, you know, doubt at least a little bit, In, in even in Malachi Flynn. I mean, he had a couple games, and not that it, the players and everybody else doesn't think he's had a f- phenomenal season and he's a great player and all that, but, you know, a couple games in a row, he didn't shoot well. And I think, you know, he got some points late with some free throws, made a couple shots against Colorado State, but clearly didn't look like the same player that we had seen most of, most of the season. But that performance on Saturday was, you know, pretty much as good as you're going to see from a college player. Did you get any sense beforehand or even, you know, during the early part? I mean, I guess the early part of the game, you got a sense because he kept making shots, which he hadn't been doing. But did you have any sense that something like that was was coming or was that just a, a case where, you know, look, these these guys are human. They have a couple off nights and and then he got back to just sort of being the player that we've seen all year.
1: Well, it's interesting because uh, Coach Brian Dutcher laid down a little bit of a gauntlet uh, before the, in, the, in the, his media comments before leading up to the game and and said, you know, look, when we when Malachi Flynn shoots X of X, I can't remember what he said, which which game he picked out, and KJ Fagan is is shooting this, you know, and and your two veteran guards aren't shooting well, man, you're not going to win, you know, we need him to make shots, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a, a kind of a challenge, and he, he laid out for those guys, kind of saying. Look, our problems are as simple as you guys aren't making shots. So start making shots, and they did. <laughs> and and then they came out between them. They made their first six uh, at the half. Uh, I think they had uh, what, what was it, twenty-eight of of their 30, 35, 35 points. Thirty-five,
0: right? And there were only like three guys who had scored. I think. I think it was just those yeah. guys in Mitchell uh, who had even scored. I think at the half at right. halftime.
1: And, and so they pretty much answered that very early. And, and as you mentioned, you know, the fact that he starts scoring early helped them, you know, he, and he's been this way his whole career. I've even talked with his high school coach. He said it was the same thing. He was on a talented high school team, very, very talented. Bellman prep in Tacoma. And they, they competed for state titles every year. And he said, you know, he would distribute and defer and we get in the second half and then he'd start getting going. But there's a lot of games he'd have four, six or eight points at, at the half and he'd end up with 30 and you know he did that quite a bit this season he had 28 against uh iowa after doing nothing in the first half and and so that's kind of been his trend and for him to get going early he talked about that afterwards really uh kind of engaged him and got him got him uh really rolling and so i think that was sort of a I mean little sense to answer your question a little sense before the game but once those two hit their first couple shots i knew it was on.
0: Right. And, and KJ showed something, you know, during the game, you know, anytime somebody rolls their ankle like that, you're always concerned, you're concerned it's going to, it's going to swell up and, uh, you know, you never know how bad it is. It always looks, I'm sure it looks worse on, on TV, uh, even when they, you know, it goes into slow motion and you see it turn and roll and you're like, oh geez, I wouldn't want that to happen. But he was only out for a couple minutes, right. And went to the locker room and, and, uh. And came right back in. Did he? Did he say anything afterward about how uh, how bad it was and if he was concerned at all going forward?
1: Yeah, I asked him what the pain was, and he said it was a. On, on a, you know, every, every basketball player has rolled their ankle, so they know mm-hmm. you know which ones are bad and which ones aren't. He did roll it kind of outward, which is the best way to do it. I and mean, there's no best way to roll your ankle, but if you're going to do it, do it that way. So it's not the, the dreaded high ankle sprain that we hear about. Uh, he said this, the pain was like a five or six on a scale of ten. And, you know, but this is a you know this is an elite athlete telling you that for you and me we'd probably be rolling around like a baby <laughs> holding our ankle. But uh, he went back to the locker room and he first came. You know, it took him a long time to get up, and then when he got up, he couldn't put any pressure on it, and he kind of hobbled over the bench. When the head coach goes out there, then you're you're really concerned about the injury, and because head coaches have been through these long enough, particularly a guy like Brian Dutcher to know what's bad and what's not. So he, um, you know, it looked bad, and he, and he kind of hesitated at the bench. And, he, and the trainer, uh, Sergio Ibarra, it was funny because I was sitting right there, had left to go to the locker room, and KG hadn't followed him. So he came back out. He's like, come on, let's go. <laughs> and KG was like, what are we doing? He goes, I'm going to go retape it. And he was back out quickly. I talked to Sergio on the, on the flight home. Uh, he sat across the aisle from me, and I said, how quickly can you tape an ankle? He goes, I've actually timed myself 45 seconds. Wow. And he just retaped the ankle and he said, you know, there's a lot of mental toughness there. And you know, it, and the thing about if, if you roll it outside, and again I'm not a doctor, but I know that if you roll it that way, you sometimes have a chance to, you know, you'll see like it in rec games, guys will lace up their shoes really tight. He had the you know, advantage of getting it taped. You can get it taped and you can get through the game. And the question is what happens the next day and the next day and the next day. But the next morning he was, you know, he had his shoe loosened at the airport and he was kind of hobbling through the airport, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't like really, really noticeable. So he said, I think I'll be perfectly fine by Thursday to play. And, and I, you know, knowing him, if he did that in that game, uh, I, I'd be, I'd be shocked if he's out on the floor Thursday.
0: Right. And you don't think they would do anything like sort of be careful and, and even sit him out just as a precaution at this point. I mean, the, the one thing is they do have a two week layoff. I mean, no matter how many day whatever happens in this, in this tournament, I mean, the, they're not going to play again until March 20th. So, either just under or right about two weeks before their next game. So, do you think that plays a little bit of a role in, uh, in how much he plays this week? That if, if they were playing the following week, maybe Dutcher would be just a little bit more careful?
1: Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, you could see in Dutcher's comments afterwards, I said, What's going through your mind when, you know, you're, you're basically the heart and soul of your team? Maybe not your leading scorer, but he's really the leader of the team and, and he's the guts of this team goes down like that, and he said, all I could think about is how, thank goodness, we got 20 days for the NCAA Tournament. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. he had already in his mind taken him out of the, out of the Mountain West Tournament. It's like, it's okay, he won't play now. We don't, we don't have to worry about that. We don't need him for that, but we need him for the NCAA Tournament. But, uh, you know, the, the thing about it, I, I'm sure they'll be cautious, and I'm sure there'll probably be more examinations. I don't know if they'll get an M- MRI or not, but they'll, they'll try to sort of value the extent of it. And if it's garden variety or if it's something worse, but the, the other factor is, look, this guy's, a, this guy's a fifth-year senior. He's never played. He's played on losing teams in college his whole life. He is just reveling in the fact that they're winning. And, and keeping him off the floor with a chance to win a conference tournament title, something he's never done right. and probably dreamed about, is going to be hard to do. And, and, and I think they'll probably trust his judgment as much as anybody's judgment on this call.
0: Right. That makes sense. All Mountain West, the media poll, media votes were announced uh, Monday morning. And uh, as expected, Malachi Flynn, player of the year, Brian Dutcher, coach of the year. Uh, Flynn's on the first team, the only Aztec on the first team. And I know you said you voted for K.J. Fagan as the defensive player of the year. He did not get that award. Uh, Were you surprised at all? And, and, you know, I'm never one to get worked up about awards, but I just just to ask a question. Were you surprised at all that only one Aztec's on the first team and that? Fagan didn't win Defensive Player of the Year, or did you kind of see that coming uh, just in a sense because of the balance that the Aztecs have had all year, and also that, you know, it's I, as you've written about, it's kind of hard to have defensive stats for someone like Fagan, as opposed to a guy who blocks a lot of shots.
1: Yeah, the, the, the biggest surprise to me was was that Fagan didn't get more votes, and what was interesting is that Malachi Flynn got two votes, and, and Fagan got two votes each, and there's only 11 votes in the media voting. There's 11 ballots, and, and in cities where there's multiple beat writers, they share the ballot, so uh, there's more input, but it only counts as one. So, what was interesting about that is is Malachi Flan is a good defender, but he's not on the same level of same kind of defender as KJ is. Mm-hmm. He He's, um, he generally does not guard the best perimeter player on the other team, and, and anyone who watches San State's games closely should know that, so, but he has more steals, maybe because he can slack off a little bit and, and get in the gaps and sneak up behind somebody uh, and doesn't have to worry quite as much about his player scoring as KJ is just completely locking up that player. And that's his sole purpose on the floor. Um, and so a little bit surprising that KJ, if, if you're going to vote for a San Diego state player, didn't get all those votes. Um, but you know, KJ is a very good player. He was defensive player of the year last year. Uh, and while he was hurt for most of the early part of the season, he has po- Started to play very well, and, and no coincidence, so is Utah State. Uh, and so, you know, it's hard to argue with that, but I really think my my whole reasoning is I, I like to pick the best defensive player on the best defensive team. And there's no doubt San Diego State's the best defensive team by a mile. Any metric you want to look at, any statistic you want to look at, they're the best defensive team in the league. They went 17 1 for a reason and 9 0 on the road. And KJ was by far the best defensive player. And if you ask any of the coaches that, they tell you the same thing.
0: And I think you voted Mitchell on the first team and KJ on the second team. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, and this is probably the basketball coach in me. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's quite a there's a lot of times, and I don't want to knock the rest of the media because they have different ways of voting. Everyone has different ways of voting. I always vote coach of the year, for example. Whoever wins the league, I think you should be coach of the year. Mm-hmm. And usually, player of the year, I usually vote for the best player on the best pe- team. But people have different ways of doing it. But the coach in me looks at a defensive player and really values him. And also, I mean, I have a much different view of K.J. Fagan than maybe outsiders do because I'm there every day of practice and I'm there with the team. I'm at shoot-arounds and I see the value he brings as a leader and also the value he brings as a defender. So the scoring stats really don't mean much to me uh, as far as I know he did have some big games. And Matt Mitchell, uh, I think, you know, one issue, one, one difference between the, the coaches' awards, which will come out later this week, and the media awards. The media awards are, are primarily uh, prioritizing conference statistics, but also looking at the whole season. And in that regard, you know, Matt didn't start uh, for the first half of the season. And he really came on sort of the middle of the conference season. Uh, and so he might get more votes from the coaches just because of the format than he did from, uh, from the media. But I I felt like he was uh, a first-team player, and I thought that Yanni Wetzel was a second-team player. But, you know, at that point, I mean, you're you're talking about 15 players out of hundreds and hundreds of players in the league, and, um, you know, you start to split hairs at that point. There's a lot of good players. And then then you also have the question of a good player on a bad team and how good is that player. Right, right. So,
0: anyway, one last thing before we move on, and I know you're going to write about this uh, tomorrow – And it'll be in the paper Wednesday, probably be online tomorrow. But uh, the idea, the tournament is early this year and it's early because of a convention in Las Vegas. You can explain a little bit more of that. But I think, and I think you wrote about this before, there was talk about moving the tournament to San Diego and play or or maybe elsewhere as well. But certainly San Diego seemed to make sense and play it the normal time, which would have been a week from now uh explain explain what happened what's happening and and you know is this still a, a case of what you mentioned last week where everything kind of revolves around the fact that the mountain west gets money from the las vegas tourism bureau and so they're just going to play it in las vegas and at the thomas and mac pretty much uh, come hell or high water or construction convention or whatever might be the, the case
1: yeah, so every three years in in Vegas they have uh, I think it's called ConAg. It's a it's a massive, massive international co- uh, contractors convention. And I mean, when I say massive, 120,000 participants. Uh, and even in Vegas, which has a lot of big conventions, that's big. Right. And it falls at the same week that you you had the Mount West Conference tournament, the Pac-12 tournament. Obviously, the WAC tournament is not bringing a ton of fans, but the Mount the the Pac-12 is. And the Mountain West, in some years, brings a fair amount of fans. And so uh, they, they did this three years ago, and they kept it the same week. And it was a disaster because the Mountain West, had, as you mentioned earlier, had fallen sort of in the one bid league uh, status, and a lot of fans weren't coming. And then when they looked at the hotel prices, I mean, literally, I looked, it was $500 a night for a bad hotel on the strip. <laughs> and that's if you could get a room. And, and fans just said, screw it, I'm not going to go. Uh, and so they didn't, and the attendance was down. And so they, they came up with three options. One was to keep it the same week and just suck it up with the hotels and try to get people to book early. Uh, another was to move to San Diego and play in and just on a one-year, one, one-off deal. And the other was to go somewhere else neutral, and the city that popped up was Phoenix. And so they formed a committee. Uh, Stacey Terry, the women's basketball coach, setting the state, was on it. Uh, and some athletic directors had input, some of the coaches, some other And they looked at all the different scenarios and and the oh and, the, and obviously the fourth scenario was what they're doing, which is move it up a week and keep it in Las Vegas, and they kept in Las Vegas and Stacy said the other day that you know a lot of it was because uh just the finances of the hotels in San Diego versus the deals they would get on hotels in uh, Las Vegas, where there are obviously quite a few hotels, and this week isn't a big week, so they could offer better deals to the Convention Bureau. Uh, and so they decided to keep it. But, I mean, San Diego, people were so worried about, well, can't play in San Diego because don't have a home court advantage. Well, who's the hottest team in the league right now? It's it's UNLV, and they're playing in their home building. And now they have not had great success in the tournament, but, you know, if you're Boise State's coach, what are you thinking right now? You right, were down right. 27 of them a week ago <laughs> in Thomas and Mack, and now you got to play them. <laughs> in the first game, the quarterfinals. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if there's more griping about it. And, and three years from now, they they take another uh, run at San Diego and, they, and maybe they decide to come. But, I, you know, it, it's interesting to, 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 to see how the, the Mount West makes decisions. And, and, and you would think that maybe just for one year they'd come to San Diego. And this would have been the perfect year because they won the tournament. I know they won the regular season, and who could argue with them getting to host the tournament?
0: Right, and and obviously there would have been no problem uh, there would have been no problem selling tickets for anybody uh, I do think you know hotels are probably more expensive here so maybe that factored in who knows but it would have uh, it would have been nice to have it here but I guess the Aztecs and and their fans will have to settle for just being conference champions and you know in a few days maybe conference tournament champions as well so anyway I know you are off to Vegas this week and uh, it should be interesting to follow what's going on there and then we will come back and, uh, and do one of these maybe probably next Monday and uh, talk about what happened in Las Vegas and what the Aztecs plans are for the layoff that they're going to face between that and uh, the NCAA tournament so I want to thank everyone for listening and uh, please come back and join us next week